One of the most painful and disorientating moments of my life was back at the beginning of 2018, when I'd been led by the Holy Spirit to face the realization that the so-called Bible-based role that I'd undertaken for the so-called Bible-based organization for whom I was then working was utterly incompatible with the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit had seen fit to show me that the reality in which I found myself was certainly not as most of us tend to peaceably think of these things, i.e. that the role and organisation were quite understandably imperfect, that with regards to the kingdom of God they were essentially legit and that basically it was just not for me. Rather, this crescendo and crisis of kingdom trauma was showing me that it was an employment and an organisation that were obstructive of the Holy Spirit actively opposed to the kingdom of God and ultimately, therefore, antichrist in both root and effect. This proved to be a final straw, precisely and carefully placed by the dread warrior of Israel onto the back of this willing kingdom padwan. In short, this job and this organisation was very much a matter of the letter, but not truly of the spirit. Are you open today to hear the traumatic message that you're quite possibly not functioning in the spirit as much as you are the letter? Listen to T.A. Sparks here quoting a member of the British Parliament back in the 1950s who writes, There are many classifications into which men and women may be divided, as upper, middle or lower class, rich, well-to-do and poor, religious, sceptical and atheist and so forth and so on. But as I think, the only categorization which really matters is that which divides men as between the servants of the spirit and the prisoners of the organization. That classification, which cuts right across all other classifications, is indeed the fundamental one. The idea, the inspiration, originates in the internal world, the world of the spirit. The idea, having embodied itself in the organization, the organisation then proceeds gradually to slay the idea which gave it birth. In the field of religion, a prophet, an inspired man, will see a vision of truth. He expresses that vision as best he may in words. Upon what his disciples understand of the prophet's message, an organisation, a church, will be built. The half-understood message will crystallise into a creed, before long, the principal concern of the church will be to sustain itself as an organisation. To this end, any departure from the creed must be controverted and, if necessary, suppressed as heresy. In a few score or a few hundred years, what was conceived as a vehicle of a new and higher truth has become a prison for the souls of men. And men are murdering each other for the love of God. We must be servants of the spirit, not prisoners of the organisation. We must keep in touch with the sources of life, not lose ourselves in the temporary vehicles. This world is a bridge. Ye shall pass over it, but ye shall build no houses upon it. Is that not just what you have in the book of Acts and all the way through? The crystallising of our apprehension of truth, our interpretation, the partial perception the statement in the letter, something fixed, embodying that which was of the Spirit of God in the beginning, but not allowing it to go beyond the bounds now. Anything more, anything other than that is called heresy. This is the last word. 
It may be embodied in an organization, in what is called a church, a sect, a denomination. And if you go beyond that, well, you are said to be all wrong. The great difference between men of the organization and men of the spirit is what you have here in the book of Acts. The point is this, the fullness of divine purpose demands that the Holy Spirit be continually in charge, that he be allowed to be completely in the place of government, and that we do not put anything in his place, nothing whatsoever, not a church, not a fixed order, so that at any point or in any way we could say, that is not what we teach, that is not what we have been brought up to believe, that is not what our church believes and teaches. To do that is to put something in the way of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must be in charge and must be free. It was on those very points that the apostles themselves had firstly their battles and then their enlargements. It is out there into that vast realm that the Holy Spirit would bring us and we must be very careful that we do not clamp down on the Holy Spirit with man-made, man-constituted institutions. We must keep out in the open with the Spirit. And it is there that our surprises will begin, yes, and our very real discipline. I remember this day of resignation when I collected the things from my desk having submitted my letter. I remember feeling physically sick with anxiety and worry. What are we going to do for money? How would we be able to honour our financial commitments? How is this going to look on my CV? Am I hearing you, Lord? Is there something wrong with me? Back at home, I remember confiding through tears to a colleague on the phone about what I'd observed within the charity, my experiences. A man who I would later discover was a progressive proponent of LGBT abhorrences, a senior leader in a national, quote, company of the letter. But as anxious as I may have felt, I also remember being more deeply aware of the nauseating contact with spiritual sickness to which Mary and I had been repeatedly exposed in the preceding five years, and the clearing storm clouds that had caused so many sleepless nights. Herein was now a gathering peace that passeth all understanding. No salary, no employment, no colleagues, no CV, no practical clear answers, but peace. As I strolled past Arthur's seat through the springtime sunshine, the kingdom of God seemed to open up before me as I walked and prayed and received profound reassurance that what I had been experiencing over the course of the last five to six years was merely entry-level training for the kingdom of God. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Matthew 11, 11 and 12. Spiritual violence indeed. Jesus also said in Matthew 13, and he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Matthew thirteen fifty two. Treasure that is both old and new indeed. And listen to this longer passage in Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew six twenty-five to 33 Are you not of more value than they? Indeed. So now the chronic trauma and spiritual violence had started to make more sense. Not that sense is always guaranteed. Following our marriage in 2013, Mary and I had immediately and repeatedly been forced into contact with individuals, organisations, couples and even family members through whom this kingdom training was achieved. The seven things. Number one, chaotic churches and employers evidently governed by anything but the Holy Spirit. The denial of the authority of the kingdom. Number two, Christian family members attacking our marriage, refusing to apologise for gross sin or to genuinely listen to our hearts. The denial of the honour of the kingdom. Number three, false doctrine, male and female being irrelevant, female elders, female pastors, health, wealth and prosperity teaching. The denial of the truth of the kingdom. Number four, false sexual ethics. A lesbian woman put in charge of Christian pastoral ministry of a Christian ministry and organisation. Denying the holiness of the kingdom. Number five, systemic organisational cover-ups of gross incompetence, immaturity and corruption of leaders. The denial of the purity of the kingdom. Number six, conservative religious idolatry tarted up to look like healthy biblical ecumenicalism. The denial of the power of the kingdom. And finally, gross sexual sin, cover up and the sullying of the core end time tenet of the bride of Christ. The denial of the message and reality of the kingdom. In a nutshell, especially regarding Christian leadership, this is what I'm saying. The preponderance of a people of the letter is almost entirely an eclipse in the church of the people of the spirit. In a nutshell, especially regarding Christian leadership, the preponderance of a people of the letter is almost entirely an eclipse of the people of the Holy Spirit. This is why I'm publishing this now. I'm convinced that either the true people of the Spirit today will have become so sick of the people of the letter, the processes, the systems, the narratives, the structures, 
the impotence of spiritless Christianity, that they will find themselves in relative self-inflicted isolation. Or the true people of the Spirit today will have only, in fact, just become a person of the Spirit, a babe of the Spirit, only just been born of the Spirit. New Christians today are calling to account this gaping kingdom disparity between the Bibles that they read and the churches that they wrongly assume they must attend. Listen, when brand new Christians today highlight the incongruity of a local church that they visit for camaraderie, guidance, teaching and to worship, only to find that it bears little semblance to the unified urgency and yearning of a New Testament congregation, when an intuitive sense of the denial of the kingdom is their initial experience of the body of Christ while walking through the crisis of their very own traumatic conversion, the kingdom of God is surely at hand. Let me put it in, a, in another way. When a brand new Christian, a brand new convert, understands that their first step should be into a local church, but only to find that in having taken that step into a local church, they're not met with a community that they can reconcile with what they're reading in the Bible, we have a problem. There is a problem. Will we fall on our knees again before the Holy Ghost? What then for these conscience-conscripted veterans who choose exile rather than compromise? And what to do for the entrenched but rousing leaders of within? And most certainly, what to do for the confused bewilderment of new converts? We must come to the end of ourselves, the end of our traditions, the end of our inheritances, the end of our constitutions, the end of our hypocrisies and comforts and conveniences, our lazy apathy and fear of man, and we must fall again upon the word and the spirit of God. Listen, we must forsake the company of the letter, as in a business company. We must forsake the company of the letter and cleave to the company of the Holy Spirit. Listen to T.A. Sparks again answering the question, what is the kingdom? He says, We have an altogether new and different consciousness so far as our relationship to God is concerned. The great truth of the Gospels, especially as emphasised in the Gospel of John, is that a new revelation of relationship with God has come by Jesus Christ. When did that happen with you? What was the very first lisp of your new life? Father, uttered out of a new consciousness. Not now a God who is afar off, unthinkable, all terrible, of whom you are afraid. No, Father. When we are born of the Spirit, there is brought about an entirely new relationship. If the bride of Christ is to be prepared for her bridegroom king. Listen to this again in summary. We must forsake the company, big C, as a, as a business. We must forsake the company of the letter and cleave to the company of the Holy Spirit. Mary and I have experienced some shocking things, some shocking details that, believe it or not, I'm trying to be very gracious about and have been uh, measured in telling you about. But they all serve to make a point that when you become a Christian, when the gospel touches your life, when the Spirit of God touches your life, when you become a person of the Spirit rather than merely of religion or of tradition or of denomination or of 
letter. The kind of disruption that results leaves you feeling wobbly at the level of your knees and faint at the level of your mind. The gospel changes everything. And anything other than that, I think we should be suspicious of. Does anybody want to receive Jesus? Put your hand up. We'll give you a welcome pack. You can grab a hazelnut latte at the back afterwards. Join the club. We should be suspicious of that. I went through that list earlier and I was being gracious. I could have gone into more detail and, you know, maybe that will be appropriate at a different time to give a bit more detail about where where the steel comes from in me and in Marry Together. Where does the steel come from? Well, it comes from the experiences that, that God hasn't just by his spirit allowed. I think the, the, the situations that he has engineered But my reflection teaches me this, and this is the answer, I think, in terms of what it means to become a person faithfully disrupted of the spirit rather than the letter. And that's irrespective of whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or whether you've been a Christian for five minutes. You can be an old veteran, as it were, or a brand new babe. The point is this, that when I went through that list of things earlier to do with the shocking things that we've experienced ranging from chaotic churches, false doctrine, cover-ups, sexual sin, unrepentant, no, you know, all of the different things. You know, ultimately, I think we're talking about sin. Are not the examples I've given that have paved the way for our kingdom training actually all matters of gross sin? I think they are. Just in closing, now listen to this from J.C. Ryle in his very well-known book, Holiness. As to the best remedy for the state of things I have mentioned, I shall venture to give an opinion. Other schools of thought in the churches must judge for themselves. The cure for evangelical churchmen, I am convinced, is to be found in a clearer apprehension of the nature and sinfulness of sin. We need not go back to Egypt and borrow semi-Romish practices in order to revive our spiritual life. We need not restore the confessional or return to monasticism. Nothing of the kind. We must simply repent and do our first works. We must return to first principles. We must go back to old paths. We must sit down humbly in the presence of God, look the whole subject in the face, examine clearly what the Lord Jesus calls sin and what the Lord Jesus calls doing his will. We must then try to realise that it is terribly possible to live a careless, easygoing, half-worldly life and yet at the same time to maintain evangelical principles and call ourselves evangelical people. In closing, I've got some questions to take away to reflect on prayerfully and there's 10 of them, but I hope this is something practical for you to go away and, and think about, maybe talk about with friends, family. Firstly, do you find yourself thinking there must be more than this? Number two, do you have a recurring, nagging feeling regarding your personal spirituality as a disciple? Number three, do you have a recurring, nagging feeling regarding your corporate spirituality as a disciple? I think maybe in terms of both what goes on and what doesn't go on within your weekly experiencing of gathering with brothers and sisters, what does go on and what doesn't. Number four, are there any areas of your life that deep down you recognise as being unavailable to the Lordship of Jesus? 
any areas that are unavailable to the Lordship of Jesus? Number five, do you share the gospel in some way on a weekly basis? Number six, do you trivialise the sin of yourself while majoring on the sin of others? Number seven, are you willing to reconcile to others by listening in humility? Number eight, are you willing to acknowledge and confess where your selfishness and sin has damaged others, especially other brothers and sisters? Number nine, are you willing to acknowledge where tradition, denomination, institution has often trumped the life of the Holy Spirit in your life? And perhaps especially in your leadership? Number 10, finally, are you willing to fall on your knees and pray whatever it takes to be a faithful person of the Spirit? A faithful person of the Holy Spirit. Make no mistake, there was a crisis of conversion, a crisis of conversion when somebody becomes a Christian genuinely. It will be a painful trauma that although filled with a previously unknown joy and peace, will touch absolutely every area of your life. Let us then come together to gather to worship. We must forsake the company of the letter and cleave to the company of the Holy Spirit. Father, our desire is to be, as it is written, to be holy as you were holy. And Lord, I do pray that as we reflect on what it means to be truly people of your spirit and how it is more than likely that we to all to some extent have been duped by spiritual inheritances that have been faulty, not foundationally as they should have been, not based truly on your word and on your spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would excavate and be a great engineer You are the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith, and you can engineer reformation. You can engineer revival, renewal. And I pray that as we all reflect on what it might mean to be people of the letter, company people, people of business, as opposed to truly people of the spirit, that you would bring great clarity of your spirit to awaken us from areas of rebellion and sleepiness and cause us to be fully awake even unto being maybe in some cases genuinely born again for the first time like Nicodemus Lord I pray you'd give us that miracle of entering your kingdom being born again born of your spirit and I pray particularly for the pride that comes the religious pride that that perhaps made Nicodemus's conversion all the more shocking to the Pharisees. I pray that you'd be like a fire and a wind, Holy Spirit, and that the fear of you would override any pride or fear of man. I pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.